RadioInfluence.com. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey, hey, Friday. That's what it is. It's Friday. Friday means Duffified Live Day, which is one of my favorite parts of the week. Why? Because I get to introduce you guys to people in my life that I have met or that I'm interested in, and I'm happy about that. Okay? It makes me feel good that I get to share some of these amazing people with you. So... What we're going to do this week, though, is I want to start off just having a little conversation about the fact that I'm out in Vegas right now. I'm out here for uh, I had an appearance with General Electric at the Kitchen and Bath Industry Show. So I have been running through Vegas for the last couple of days. I get to see a bunch of friends of mine that live out here. Uh, you know, my good friend Diana Small, I had dinner with her the other night. She's this awesome bartender who works out here that is just a super cool cat. And going out to dinner with her, we went to Lavo. Uh, we got to sit down, have that fucking meatball, this pound meatball that just crushes it. It's got this amazing whipped regatta on top. On top of that, they put this beautiful little pillow of, uh, of a shaved locatelli. It's just a wonderful dish. And, you know, then I got to go out and have a couple cocktails with my friend Diana. It was really nice to get out and just have that opportunity to sit down and chill. Um, I, uh, after that I work, man, I've been working my ass off. I get to work with GE and I get to do this super cool stuff because I get to work with like this super innovative equipment. So I'm working with this, uh, this piece of, uh, this equipment called the Advantium, which is an awesome oven. It cooks like 15 times faster than a conventional oven. Cause it cooks with 1500 watt or 4,500 Watts of light. Like it's just this amazing thing. I do a two and a half pound ribeye in like 16 minutes, man. It cooks with how and light. Who the hell thought of this stuff? You know, I'm working on an induction cooktop right now, which induction is that electromagnetic energy that heats up your pans instead of just heating the stovetop. So that pan is just killing it the whole way through. It's amazing. And I do these crazy demos where I'm doing a ribeye, I'm doing a pasta dish, I'm doing a scallop dish. We're putting out cookies. We're making breakfast in the morning. It's like this, this pure mayhem of being on literally for 10 hours a day. Like you're talking to people the entire time. And it's, it's this unbelievable rush for me where I get to share information with people and I get to share the knowledge that I have with these people and I make them laugh. Look, you guys know my sense of humor. You guys know my sarcastic manner. Like I make fun of people in the audience. I invite people up on stage with me. You know, I talk to people about salts that they're using and the methods and techniques in which we cook. And I fucking love it. It's just such a great rush for me to be able to get out there and do it and have such a high level of energy for such a long period of time. Um, It's just a really, really cool thing. So um, I'm not here to to toot my horn or, or do any of that, but I know how I feel while I'm doing my demos and I get to look at the faces of the people that are out there. And, you know, when you can hold somebody's attention uh, doing, uh, you know, doing a demonstration in the way that you do, it's just super cool and empowering. And I just love it. Um, and for me, that's a huge part of what I do. 
And it's a huge reason why I do it is that to watch the joy on people's faces when you put a product in front of them or you teach them a new trick or a new way to do it. Uh, you know, for years I had a big joke. My, my ex-girlfriend used to say all the time, I, you know, I'd be watching her cook something and she was a chef, a very talented chef, but I'd watch her cook something. I'd say, Hey, let me show you a secret. And then she'd come, she'd kind of step back and put the knife down or whatever and say, okay, why don't you just show me the way that you want me to get it done? And it was kind of a big joke, but you know, I mean, it's a neat thing to be able to take your brain and give it away. And uh, a friend of mine has said, you're going to hear me say it. If you haven't heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a thousand times. I still never understood what that, that kind of little analogy meant. If I, if you haven't heard me say it once, I've said it a thousand times. That, that doesn't actually make sense. If you haven't heard me say it once, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Anyway, whatever. Uh, but for me, uh, there was a great say, uh, a, a kind of very poignant moment in my life where a friend of mine had said to me, I want you to listen to this. It's a really important meditation. It is a, a great way to relieve stress. It's a great way to release any of the negative shit that you got going on. Uh, but to, to keep what you have, you have to give it away. So think about that. You know, you have knowledge and you have information on something to constantly share that as being is having that opportunity of giving it away and to keep what you have, you have to give it away. So to constantly share it allows you to keep that with inside of you. And I think that that's pretty cool. And for me, uh, you know, I'm not the most disciplined brain person. Look, I work hard. I'm not saying that I work smart all the time, but I'm not the most disciplined of people. Okay. I work really hard. I have a lot of projects. I've constantly got irons in the fire, balls in the air. I'm constantly with my foot in that door. I'm constantly pushing to get something done that I want to get done. I'm very aggressive with my clients to make sure that they're envisioning their dream and that they're opening up a property or that they're getting done with it is that their dream is, is taking them to. Um, and it's important for me to be able to share that information with people. And I love doing it. I really enjoy uh, uh, doing that. So for me to come to Vegas and be able to share my experiences is something that's really cool. But on top of that, I get to come to Vegas and I have some friends out here that I really, I really admire and I really enjoy spending time with it maybe once a year. Um, and it's important to me. Like I said, I had dinner with my friend Diana the other night. She's just, she's just a really big, vibrant, bright light out there who has such joy that she gets in some of the coolest little things like, you know, her love of salt and pepper and her love of Britney Spears and her love of bartending and, uh, and the idea of hospitality and being able to train somebody to do that. She's just, when she talks about it, she glows. And that's a really neat thing to see somebody who really enjoys that. And that's why I wanted to have my next guest on. You know, the reason why I wanted to have my next guest on is because when I first met her, I sat at a very loud, very uh, powerful group of people. You know, we're talking about some of my my chef friends, you know, people that are all on TV and who have bigger than life personalities and who are business owners and operators and just amazing, super talented chefs. And in the midst of all of that, I... Uh, I, I was connected to a person uh, who was of five foot stature, you know, who weighs a hundred pounds, but had such a dynamic personality that it just drew me into her. And I, I couldn't get enough of the conversation. And at one point I said, I need to have you on the show because I want to share what it is that you talk about and how passionate you are and how good you are at your job. 
So it's the reason why I had my next guest on. And I, I really want you guys to listen to what she has to say because it's a pretty cool thing. And one of the cool parts about it is when I, I texted her and asked her to be on the show and we had the opportunity. We're in the same city. Unfortunately, we don't get to do it together. We get to do it over the phone. Um, but for me, uh, it's a really cool thing to be able to share this person with you. So uh, uh, everybody do me a favor and welcome to Duffified Live for this week. My guest, my friend, her name is Tori Lebecki. And Tori is an aerialist and an acrobatist with, uh, with Cirque du Soleil. She's been there for 10 years. She was a ballerina before that. Tori's life is something that impresses me because of her dedication and her direction, like laser focus on a project that is something that you don't get to see often. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Everybody do me a favor. Welcome to Duffified Live, Tori Lebecki. What's up, Tori Lebecki? What's up, Bri? How's it going? I'm pretty good. I'm wonderful. I'm finally out here in your city and I have yet to see you. I know I called you this week and said, let's try to get dinner. Uh, but this show is killing me. I'm doing the, the uh, kitchen and bath show out here. So I'm pretty nutty right now. Yeah, it looks pretty cool, but actually I have um, I have guests in town as well, so I understand it's been hectic for me, like trying to, you know, make sure everything's clean and ready and I'm accommodating everyone, you know. Sure. But yeah, the, the well, hey, Tori, cool. yeah, I mean, there's 100,000 people in town right now just for this one show. So this town is packed to the gills, and if I'm not mistaken, it was 31 when I woke up this morning out here. Wow. So, pretty chill. Yeah, that's, um, that's pretty cool for us. Yeah, very. Um, so, hey, Tori, why don't you do me a favor? Tell us who you are. Tell me what you do. And why don't you tell us your social media so people can follow you and get to know you better? Cool. OK. Um, well, I'm Tori Lubecki. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tori Lubecki, T-O-R-I-L-U-B-E-C-K-I. And uh, who am I? Um, that <laughs> is the question. <laughs> um, well, I'm an aerialist, a yogi. Um, an adventurer. I ride motorbikes. Um, I'm vegan. I don't know. Uh, I've worked uh, for Cirque du Soleil for the last 10 years. Uh, that's just come to an end. So I'm kind of transitioning into this new life of being able to do whatever the fuck I want, which is pretty dope. Um, <laughs> I'm going to sell my house and hit the road. I've got like wow. the world at my fingertips. So no way. Like, yeah, this is like the time to be me right now. Wow. Where now? I mean, so what are you, what are you thinking? Where are you looking to go? Or are you just going to hit the road and, and find someplace? Well, I mean, I don't want to have too much of a plan that I'm trying to stick to. I just want like opportunities to open up and guide me in different directions. But I mean, I kind of have a loose plan because I'm going to do um, a yoga retreat in Hawaii in June and July. Um, okay. And also meeting up with some friends out there. And then my husband is a motorbike racer. So he's got a race in Texas. It's the AMA Nationals for vintage bikes. Oh, that's uh, cool. So we're going to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's super cool. So we're going to do that in July. And then we're heading to Europe for maybe four months or so. We've got like Spain, south of France. Um, we have a, a, a wedding to go to in London in September. And then I think from there, we're going to spend a month in Bali and then do Southeast Asia. My God, I love it. You really are. You yeah. literally just, everything just opened up for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I've been in this holding pattern because for the last decade I've been performing and it's been a great opportunity, but it's also like, I'm, I'm like tied down to one place and I'm not really able to go anywhere for more than like that two week break that I get every year. Wow. So, um, I've just been dreaming of traveling and I wanted to go on tour, but now I'm actually 
I think this is going to be even better than going with a show on tour because I won't have any responsibilities. It's just like, see where the road takes you, you know? That's great. I didn't know your husband was a motor guy either. I didn't know he's a bike guy. Yeah. Yeah. We're both bikers. That's pretty cool. He's, I know I mean, he, he's a lifelong biker. I just, I've only been riding for the last maybe five years or so. Okay. And you do sport bikes or you do, what do you ride? Well, I ride a Harley. Um, he has a Harley as well, but he's like, um, like motocross racer. Okay. Uh, he was a pro when he was a teenager and now, now we're old. So, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he's racing. He's like, it's uh he races vintage bikes and okay. so it's kind of funny. It's like all the vintage guys racing vintage bikes, but it's, it's pretty cool. It's like basically like how they did it in the seventies. So yeah. like old dirt tracks and like kind of two strokes and, you know. What is the show? There's a show that happens in Wildwood, New Jersey. It's like the Distinguished Gentleman race or something to that effect. Yeah, I've heard of this. I've um, heard of this. Um, what, I don't know what, too much about it. You would probably have to ask him. Yeah, one of my buddies rode, uh, he rode street or sport bikes for Harley for like six years. And he used to come into Philly all the time. He's an L.A. guy. And he would come into Philly and then he'd take my bike and end up going down to the show. So it was pretty cool. And I've always wanted to go, but I'm always on the road when it happens. So, um, so I mean, literally for the last 10 years, you've been kind of tied down. I mean, with the schedule with Cirque du Soleil and, you know, when you and I first met. So to give everybody an understanding of what happened. So I was out in Vegas last year. Uh, for the nightclub and bar show. My buddy was with us, Panini Pete, Pete Blome, who's been on the show. He's kind of, you know, he's a lifelong friend of, me, of mine at this point. And that's how you and I had gotten connected was through that oh, dinner, which was, well, yeah, oh my God, that dinner was so great. <laughs> what is, well, what was that dinner. dinner like sitting down with like 10 all personality based chefs? Like, um, I, to I be honest with you, Listen, chef, it's exactly the same thing as being invited onto your podcast. First of all, I'm not a chef. I don't work in the food industry. I have no connection to the production or the, you know, the manufacturing, the selling of food, none of that. And that to be, to be on your podcast, it's the same as sitting down at that table. I'm like, okay, I'm a bit, I mean, I'm in the deep water, you know, I'm like learning how to swim. Um, but it was, it was amazing because for a non-chef, I got to say, I'm the biggest food snob you're probably ever going to meet. Um, I I don't eat anything that's not delicious. I've never had any complaints about my food and, and I'm not just, um, like, oh, I like good food and not shitty food. Like I never eat fast food and not that I get to eat in the finest restaurants all the time, but I mean, I've eaten Robichon's food and so I don't need to say anything else. Um, You know, like I, I, I prefer quality over quantity every single time. And, um, and a year ago, actually kind of right before we met, I believe, um, I became vegan, which I know right. is like chefs hate vegans. I get it. I understand. I, I was a non-vegan before and we're going to have to get into that a little bit because, um, you know, for me, like I don't make, I understand that vegans can have this sort of indignant, like kind of self-righteous air about them. Um, I I don't judge anybody for what they consume or don't consume. But for me personally, like I just came to a point in my life where I was like, this has to be done and there's no, there's no going back, you know? And, and I feel like, I don't understand. Like you got to tell me why do chefs hate vegans so much? Well, well, I mean, first off, I don't hate vegans at all. I mean, it's not for me. I mean, you know, when I was, I think one of the reasons is because you're putting limitations on food and that's kind of where like, if you're a creative man, 
limitations like like make you grow. I agree. And and that's why, you know, I had an Irish pub and in the Irish pub, we got voted best vegetarian, non-vegetarian restaurant in Philadelphia. And one of the reasons why that happened to us is because I would have my staff create a dish and it was a, it was a five component dish. You had to have either three hot and two cold or two hot and three cold dishes that went onto the same plate because I wanted, I was an Irish pub, but we were a high end Irish pub, but I wanted my mm-hmm. vegans and vegetarians. I wanted to give them a reason to come back every single week. So I didn't create vegan dishes for the week. I created vegan dishes for the day. And I gave those options to my staff because why am I going to, why am I going to limit my opportunity to share a craft with somebody just because they won't eat meat? Like I never understood that part of a chef's mentality. Me either. This is the thing, like, if if you're an artist, which a chef is an artist sure. to the highest degree, um, it, it, to have limitations imposed on you forces you to be creative. And the thing is, it's not even a big stretch. Like, we eat three dead animals, and there's 80,000 edible plants. Right. So it, this should actually open up a, a, a cornucopia, you know, of, like, possibilities. But, yeah, like, I, I, I always see, like, when I go in certain restaurants or, like, when people find out they have to accommodate a vegan, I mean, like, you know, like it, it's very isolating in a way, because even if you just want to go to someone's party and they're like, oh, my mom's cooking. And you're like, oh, but guess what? You know, um, <laughs> you know, people don't like I, I get it. Why? Why people have a hard time accommodating something that they don't understand. I definitely sure. get it. But I feel like for chefs, man, they should just be jumping at the opportunity to feed me because it's like. Now you get to go use some like special mushrooms that you foraged or like now like you can come up with new flavor combinations that are going to blow someone's mind. And I'm telling you, I don't eat anything that's not amazing. Right. And I'm, I, I'm mean, not suffering. I, for me, vegetarian was always a challenge because that, and it was a challenge to me because I wanted to create something for somebody and I was doing it on an individual basis. So one of the rules that we had was no pasta. Just that simple. Vegetarians did not get pasta because what used to happen was you say you're a vegetarian, you get a pasta dish with a bunch of, you know, broccoli and red onions and red peppers that get thrown inside of it. And and that's your dish. So that's why I created the way that we did it was, you know, we would have to have vegan components on the menu or on the, 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 that dish for that night, as well as vegetarian. So if you said you're vegan, well, we're going to adjust that. We're going to make an adjustment to it. And we'd love to being creative. Um, you know, do I cook vegan? No. Could I go vegan? I don't think I could go down that route because I, there's certain products that I just like too much. I love, I love pork. You know, I love pork. It's just, I'm a huge fan of it. I'm not like Mr. Bacon man. I I think that bacon is a big joke. I'm tired of hearing about everything is better with bacon. I'm tired of all of that because in reality, it's not, we've jumped the price up so high due to a market demand that it's almost astronomical. Somebody tried to sell me a creative bacon or an artisanal bacon the other day. That was $14 a pound, man. It's fucking bacon, dude. Give me a break. Give me a break. Here's what, here's what, here's what people don't understand that. Everything is better with salt and fat. I okay? and I'm 100. percent It's not just bacon. Bacon right. is delicious because it's salty and fatty. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you took now, that away, it's not good anymore. Now, where are you getting in, in your in the vegan world? And if I'm not mistaken, were you eating? You were not eating raw, right? You were just you were eating vegan. No, 
I was just eating vegan. And now okay. I, there are times when I go raw specifically, and it's generally if I have a photo shoot or an audition or something where I got to look snatched and amazing. Right. Right. If I need to look like, you know, you know, six pack and everything else, like I will go, I'll go raw for about a month prior, wow. but literally seven days of being raw, like changes my entire system. Uh, no. but, but the thing is, I enjoy life too much to remain raw because I enjoy lux- the luxury of like eating cooked foods, you know? Sure. So no, I it's it. not for all the time. It's just for when it's like, I'm trying to detox or look amazing. So were you vegetarian prior to going into vegan or did you dive all the way in and go straight vegan? That is a good question. Um, well, when I was young, um, like when I was about 12, I became vegetarian. That Where'd you grow up? About 12 years. Where did you grow Alabama, up? Actually, Alabama, actually. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's a big, I, I'm bold move. You, yeah, I didn't know any other vegans, in fact, or vegetarians, sorry. Um, and in fact, thinking on who I still know in Alabama, the only person I know who would consider eating vegan is my mom, because I eat vegan, so she knows it's not that bad. Right. But um, yeah, no, I definitely didn't really know anyone else who... I mean, there was a handful of people that were vegetarian, but also I think I just... I think I saw that that my lifestyle was going to be that, but I didn't really get it yet. I wasn't like committed at a core level because I couldn't, you know, do you you understand what I'm saying? It's like, I do. I knew that I was, I knew that I was supposed to be vegetarian, but I wasn't really feeling it in my heart. And so I did not eat meat for 12 years, but you know, I still wanted to. And even now, like now that I know a hundred percent, I'm never going to do it again. I still, when I see, like you, I I look at your posts, man, you post a picture of a big, you know, delicious, delectable hamburger and I see it and I know that thing is delicious, right? you know, and I crave like that, that delicious factor, but like, I just go get a veggie version of the same thing. And I'm I'm lucky because I live in Las Vegas now and we have probably at least 15 completely vegan restaurants as well as hundreds of restaurants that offer more than three vegan options. So I'm in a great place. Yeah. Like when I go visit my mom in Alabama, if I'm not cooking, we're not eating, you know? Right. What, so, I mean, how hard was that being 12 years old? Well, let me ask you this. Why did you make it that decision at 12 to not eat meat? Well, it's like, I, like I said, I knew that I was supposed to, I knew that it was the right thing to do. Um, and, but also I wasn't in it for the right reasons at the same time. It was like, I knew I was supposed to be vegetarian, but I didn't care enough to really commit to being vegan. You know what I mean? And I was a junk food vegetarian. I was not healthy at all. I was like a potato chip vegetarian. And so, you know, my health wasn't great. I, you know, kind of have always struggled a bit with my weight and I mean, I, I, I say that out loud, but actually because no one can see me, I probably need to explain that I was a ballerina and then I became an aerialist. And for both careers, you essentially need to weigh about between 70 and 90 pounds. And so, uh, at my massive 110, you know, um, I've always been on the heavy side. So, well, and also how tall are you? Five feet. Okay. So, so everybody understand we're talking about a five foot tall woman. Okay. Who, I mean, Tori, you're jacked. Like you're, you're, you, 
you work out and you take care of your body and you have for, oh, for a, most of your life. I mean, to be a ballerina, to make that that commitment alone, which is why I want everybody to understand why I'm asking these questions. And I may be asking them backwards. So Tori has you've basically dedicated your life to a, a, a very regimented and a very strict way of living. To be a ballerina is constant practice. To be an aerialist is constant practice. Yes. It's like, it's like the rules have rules within the rules. And it's like, it's such a, like ballet, especially is such a serious discipline that like the more you learn about it, the more you realize that like, you'll never know it all. Right. Like there's so much more to learn about exactly what each position is supposed to look like. I mean, and you can just get real, I'm, I'm, I'm such a nerd in a way. Like I really geek out on this stuff. Um, with aerial arts, it's a bit different. It's like, it's more free flowing and kind of organic and there's not schools where it's like regimented. Like it has to be, your foot has to be at this angle, your elbow and your wrist and your neck have to be at certain angles. Um, it's very like, whatever moves you kind of, you know, I mean, and there's even like for training aerial, like now there's circus schools where you can go to learn what I know. But when I was learning, you know, this is 20 years ago when I started to learn what I know now, um, there wasn't, it's not like you could just go get somebody to teach you this stuff. You either grew up in a circus family who trained you, or you had to like steal stuff off of YouTube and try to figure it out yourself because there was not a place you could go to, to learn how to do this. Right. So once I discovered aerial arts, I never wanted to dance again because I was like, I can do the same thing in the air. That's like way more dramatic and way more exciting, you know? So I kind of, once I started doing that, I never really looked back. But yeah, yeah, it's all rules upon rules and it's, it's such a strong discipline. And for both, I mean, you have to be in charge of what you put in your body, how many calories you burn each day. I mean, it's a, it's a serious discipline that I've been invested in for my entire life. How old were I mean, you? When like you were... When I, Go ahead. When I started, no, I was going to say, like, I can remember the thing that actually sparked my interest in being an entertainer. Um, I was less than two years old. Um, and I saw a ballet performance and my heart just jumped out of its cage and was soaring. And I was like, this thing that I'm feeling by watching someone else do ballet, this is what I, this is what I want to give to people. Right. And so, and so, so of course my, you know, and this is like, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm under two years old at this point when I had this feeling of just like, I know my calling. And actually it's funny. Cause I just remembered this recently, like now that I'm in this transitional period in my life, you know, who am I now that I'm not Cirque du Soleil aerialist anymore? You know what I mean? Um, and what I remember is that my passion and my purpose is to, help people feel joy, to feel joy and to pass that on to other people. And, and I thought it was about ballet. And then I was like, no, it's just about being on stage. It's about the spotlight. It's about the, the, the alter ego and this, you know, kind of other persona that is allowed to give people this freedom to like be in this fantasy world and experience this other thing that takes them out of their life. Um, but actually I, it's, it's kind of sad in a way because my career was helping me fulfill my purpose of helping people to find joy within themselves. But I was actually thinking it was only the person on stage who could do that. And so now I'm in a place where I'm discovering, Oh, 
Like, and, and, and like I say, it's sad because in my quest for the spotlight, you know, um, I really probably was making the people around me miserable because I didn't understand that I could provide joy off stage as well. And so now I'm sort of finding my way through this new sort of existence where like, uh, like right now, do you know what my favorite thing to do is twice a week? Um, I go roller skating with senior citizens and it is like the, the a way that we can exchange joy with each other. It's immeasurable. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like to think that I wasted so many years, not making direct contact with people like with eye contact, because my sport and my way of sharing that moment, that, that thrill and that joy has been basically when you're a ballet dancer or like, say you're on stage performing, you're an actor in a play, you don't make eye contact with the audience. And in fact, if you look out direction, you're sort of looking over everyone's heads because they're not there, you know? And so, so I've always sort of thought that like that moment where I'm on stage, that's my only opportunity to really make people happy and so in my life, it's like I kick the trash can and I slam the door. And you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I've tried to live in a responsible way, but I'm only just now kind of waking up to the fact that I can actually shake someone's hand and make eye contact and have a conversation with them. And that that can be the route through which we give each other joy. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of remarkable, like, to be at this place right now. I mean, I found, you know, through many years of of, you know, I mean, I've grown up in the kitchen, you know, that's where I did. And I grew up in a materialistic uh, world, uh, you know, growing up. I mean, it's, I grew up in a very wealthy area, not that my parents had money. My father was a teacher. My mother was a nurse, but I grew up in a very, very wealthy area. And, and to me, you know, we talk about the five languages of love and mine was giving, it was always about giving somebody something so they would feel better. And then it took me up until uh, honestly, Tori, I want to say the last year to realize it has nothing to do with that. It comes down to time just yeah. to spend time with the person, you know, my mother who my father died a year and a half ago, you know, she just wants the time. My daughters really, they just want the time. Now my daughter wants like, you know, a, an awesome bag at the same time. Cause she's a kid, but really it's about right. that time and spending time with somebody that you love is so much more important than you know, the gift that you're giving, because to me, the gift of time is one of the most precious things that I can give to somebody at this point. So it's it's the most valuable resource we have. Yeah. Yeah, it is. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, so, so where, where, when after 12, did you start getting into the aerial portion of what you do? Oh, well, I will say after 12, because I was only vegetarian for about 12 years. And then I started eating meat again for a good, I don't know, another 20 years. So at 24, Um, you started eating meat again? Yeah, at 24, um, I started eating meat again. Um, I kind of just sort of was like, well, it tastes good. And, you know, what's the big deal? Everyone does it, you know. And, like, that's what I mean about I wasn't fully committed. Um it was an easy transition to go back to meat. And before I knew it, I was on the standard American diet. Right. It's pretty sad. It and is, you yeah. know, it was like, I was waking up, I'm eating bacon and eggs with cheese on them. And then I'm having lunch and it's a club sandwich that has five animals in it. And then for dinner, it's like, you know, whatever, it's like, whatever. It's like, you, you, there was a time less than a hundred years ago when if you were wealthy, you got to eat a piece of meat at supper time. Yes. You know, 
And now it's like we just we're burning through animals like faster than we can produce them. In fact, I think the statistic is that in the in in the last two minutes, three million nine hundred thousand animals were killed for food. You know, and it's like it's it's a it's a crazy thing. Like uh, once you start like because essentially for me, I stopped eating meat. I want to say like the second time uh, was probably around the time I did my yoga teacher training, which was about two years ago. I went to Bali, got fully immersed for a month. I'm just doing yoga, eating vegetarian food. And that was like when I officially was like, yeah, I don't want to go back to eating meat. But then when you start looking more into like the dairy industry and free range eggs and all that stuff, like the more you learn about it again, it's like, wow, this is a really deep tunnel that I'm digging into. And you're never going to really find the end of it. But um, I think the thing that, I think it was, um, we went to the Philippines, um, and this is so crazy. It's so like hippy dippy in a way, but I had been having a lot of kind of like allergy tests and different doctors recommending that I should try to give up gluten for a while, that I should try to give up dairy for a while. Um, you know, just to see if it helped with like some, some, some allergy issues. And so when I was in the Philippines, we stayed on this private Island that was owned by a doctor of iridology. So they, they study the iris in your eye and they can tell by like discolorations or, you know, cloudiness or whatever, what different parts of your body are not working correctly. So I did this. Cause the doctor owned, you know, it was like, Oh, hundred bucks. You can get your report done. And I was like, Hey, why not? And so the first thing he was like, you have got to stop eating wheat and dairy. And I was like, done. He said, do it for six months, see how your body feels. And then decide if you want to go forward, like continue that diet or not. And for me, it was like less than two weeks. And I was like, I will never eat wheat or gluten again. I'm done. Now, gluten, gluten, come on. I cheat on it sometimes because there's not an ethical issue behind it. But I am sensitive to it with my own system. So I just basically never eat it. And then like once a year, it's like my birthday and I go get a cineholic. (laughs) (laughs) You go get a what? By the way. Cineholic. It's vegan. It's like a vegan cinnamon roll. And it's like a chain. I think they were... What's that show? They were on Shark Tank or something. Oh, cool. Um, But there's like, it's a chain. So across the United States, you can find them. And it's a secret that it's vegan. They don't advertise that. But it's about the most decadent vegan item you can eat. But it does have wheat in it. So I I hardly ever eat it. But that's my my, uh, drug of choice when I decide to jump back on the gluten for a second. Right. But ultimately, I know I can't stay long. When you, when you made that change after 12 years of being a vegetarian and then you started eating meat again, I mean, what was your, I mean, did you go out and get a pork chop and shove it in your mouth or did you eat a little bit of chicken and start off on a slow way? Oh yeah. It was like, I'm, you know, drunk in New York in the middle of the night and there's nothing available except the one Chinese (laughs) restaurant and they've got fucking sesame Uh, chicken and my roommate's getting that. You know, it's like... Oh, I just have a taste. Right. Uh, maybe I, that was pretty good. Maybe I'll just have another bite. And then it was funny because at the time I was married to my ex-husband and we were, we were, um, I was traveling for, to, for like a dance kind of program. Um, and he was back at home. And so I had, the, we were both vegetarian together and I had the chicken and I was like, Oh God, I gotta go home and like confess my sins, you know? And so I was like, how am I going to tell him? I just got to like say it right away. I just got to like spit it out as soon as I get home. 
Right. And so, like, right as I'm going to say it, he's like, I ate chicken. I was like, hey, chicken, too. <laughs> high five, high five. Yeah, yeah, so we're back on the chicken. And then it was like a pretty slippery slope. Obviously, it didn't take long before we were, you know, just eating everything. But, I mean, was it like, did you, when you say eating everything, were you going to McDonald's and getting a, a Big Mac? Oh, fuck no. Fuck okay, no. Well, I mean, but, I, but, I mean, that's, okay. you know, I, I mean, I know people that have been vegetarian and then hopped off and they're like, fuck it, this is what I'm going to do. Right, right. No, I, I will say I went deep, like foie gras deep, you know what I mean? But, oh, okay. Um, Mm, McDonald's, no, no, I don't. Okay. I haven't. I, I'm such a food snob that honestly, like fast food, I can't get anywhere near it. I just think it's garbage. It just looks like a microwave burrito from a gas station to me. Like, not even in my most drunken state, am I going to need that? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I haven't. I haven't touched fast. I mean, I can't even remember the last time I had a fast food product. And even my girls. I mean, so when we travel. And we travel a fuck ton. Like we find, we'll look for the off the beaten path place just so that we don't have to go to a McDonald's, you know, just so that we don't yeah. have to find those. Okay. I mean, even the airports, you look at, you know, I mean, you, you fly, you travel, go into the airport right now. You know, you're, you're seeing some pretty awesome options other than the standard old school shitty airplane, you know, airport food. Well, yeah, I want to say it was approximately five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, that if you were vegan and you had to make a long flight, your options were essentially potato chips, plain bread, maybe like if you could find like a French loaf or something right. um, and black coffee. I mean, that was pretty much it. But yeah, like now you can go get a tomato salad. Like there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different airport options. I'm impressed. And if, maybe it's because I live in Vegas, but um, but I will say that I feel like that the whole world in a way is becoming accessible to vegans. Right. Because we don't just have to eat Lay's potato chips anymore. <laughs> Y'all know what I do. I own a company. It's called Duffified Experience Group. I travel all over the world. I open restaurants. I'm dealing with hospitality. You know, I've got a bunch of really cool projects right now that are going on. And I started to get involved with something that I really like. One of the biggest issues that I see in restaurants these days is the fact that there's a point of, a point of sale. Okay. People are using these systems and they're not even using the full potential of them. They're only using it basically as a calculator and a money taker. That's not the way that this works. Okay. There's a lot of examples of things that happen within a restaurant struggle that we got to talk about. It could be the simple um, idea of track, you know, the difficulty of tracking data, not taking days off or spending way too much time on a POS that one, you just don't understand. And two, it just doesn't work. So cake is a point of sale system that lets bars and restaurant owners focus on the guest experience. Stop worrying about tracking every sale. Cake does it for you. You can automatically save the information and review it later from anywhere. It means you can actually take days off, which can be pretty rare in this business. And you guys know how that works. All right. So with cake, you can actually spend time with your family without worrying about adding up last night's sales. All right. No matter where you are, you can check in on daily reports and know that they're going to be up to date to get started with cake. I want you guys to check out. Okay. I want you to check this out. Try cake, T R Y C A K E.com forward slash Duffy for the podcast listeners that we have on here today. If you own a restaurant and you want to do this, you can get up to $750 off of the activation fee. That's a 75% discount. With that discount, you're going to get a user-friendly POS. Okay. You're going to find a solution that totally helps you. It includes cloud reporting and world-class 24-7 report. 
So here's the deal. You're going to, all restaurant owners, I want you to go to trycake.com. You're going to put the forward slash of Duffy in there. Take a look. Cake is going to make it super easy. That is trycake, T-R-Y-C-A-K-E dot com. Forward slash Duffy. You guys put that in. You're going to get a $750 off the activation fee. Do it right now. Trust me, I'm a professional. I'm telling you what to do. So, so you, you know, you're diving back in and then, so when we meet a year ago, you actually had to get, you had surgery. Did you have your surgery prior to that or after? I can't remember. Both. Um, I'm pretty sure I had one surgery when we met. Okay. Um, But so basically like after years of doing the same, essentially with, um, with Cirque, what happens is, you know, you're hired as an artist and you they turn you into a robot. So for 480 shows per year, you have to make the exact same motions. So with my body, I was getting yanked in the same direction repetitively over and over again. So you're you're talking about 4,800 shows over the course of 10 years. Now I didn't perform all of those shows, but well over 4,000 I performed. And so at the end of that time, essentially my hips and my shoulders it, I, I describe it like I had been quartered, you know, like by four horses, right. um, just running in opposite directions with my limbs because both of my hips were destroyed, both of my shoulders were destroyed, and so I, I needed a lot of a lot of repairs, a um, lot of work. So yeah, I, I think when I first met you, I had had one hip surgery, but I still had another hip surgery and another shoulder surgery to go. So it's been a rough year. I'm, I'm, I gotta say, it's. Uh, I thought I was gonna enjoy this time off, and I have. But it, you know, I feel like I've been in a rental body because my entire life I've taken care of myself, I've been fit and healthy, and now suddenly I can barely walk from one room to another, or I can't lift anything heavier than like a pen. You know, so um, it's it's been a tough year for me, and I'm just. I'm kind of like just starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel where it's like, I'm going to be okay. Like my body is going to work again. So I'm pretty pumped right now that I don't have any responsibilities and that I'm just about to have my body back the way it used to be, you know? Right. Now, when you're, when you're working with Cirque and you're doing all of that, I mean, are you basically treating your body the same as a professional athlete would where you're working out, you're working what you have to do, but when you feel a pain, you're going in for a cortisone shot or, you know, you're getting, you know, a pill for something. Yeah, we are a hundred percent professional athletes. There's 80 artists just in my show. And a lot of different disciplines, those artists, but essentially we're the only athletes who do not get an off season. And that's, that's pretty serious for the body because Uh, if you look at any other sport, um, like football, basketball, you know, like the sports that people watch on TV and stuff, um, those guys work half the year and then they have half the year for their body to recover. And then they go back in and they start again. And so for us, it's like, we get two weeks off per year like right in a chunk and then we get a, you know, we get a couple of days here and there, but for the most part, we're constantly 10 shows a week pumping this stuff out. And since we don't have time to recover, what ends up happening is I would say like every two years you end up needing a surgery. And, um, that's like an average. That's like a loose average of like artists through the company. Um, for me, I managed to make it almost a decade without needing to get anything fixed, but now I need four surgeries at once. So in a way I've kind of caught up to all of my colleagues. Um, 
but yeah, it's like, it's, it's really, it's, it's tragic for the body because we have such a short career and it could be nearly twice as long if we had time to recover, but it's just, it's a grueling schedule, you know? And the thing is we, we call it golden handcuffs. I'll just, sorry to cut you off. Um, but like, uh, the contracts are so sought after that when you get one, you know, it's like after a couple of years, you're a little bored and you want to do something else, but you also know like, okay, well, I'm really well taken care of. I've got benefits. My job is fun. I'm basically getting paid to make believe for a living. And all I got to do is stay in shape and keep showing up here every day. So it's like, we call it golden handcuffs because it's like, you can't walk away from that situation, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially as an artist that is so specific as what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, you created your entire, you created your show, you created every move. I mean, that's why when we sat down to dinner at one point I said, like, I, I, I'm dying to hear everything you have to say. But I was like, I want, I want you to talk on the show. You know, I want you to be on the podcast because I want other people to hear what it is that you went through and some of the stuff that you did. I mean, you know, at what point did, did the practice of yoga come into play for you? I mean, to, to, to work oh, through it. It's different. It's opposite than you think. Actually, I went from ballet to aerial through which I was like learning gymnastics and kind of ac basic acrobatics and stuff. But um, I didn't start doing yoga until approximately five years ago. I started yoga. Now, I will say it's not like I've never taken a yoga class my entire right. life. You know, I've been physical, so I will go to a yoga class and, you know, I'm 16, I'm 20, I'm 28, I'm 30, I'm 35. I'm going to the yoga class and I'm like, well, that sucked. I'm never going to do that again. You know, <laughs> a few years go by, I try it again. I still hate it. I mean, hate it. Like never going to do that again. Why did I come here today? Right. And I think the reason was because my body has always been um, quick to do whatever I demand of it. Sure. And so... Yoga is a way I, I used to, when I was younger, I thought of it as like stretching for dummies right. because I'm like, okay, we're just doing splits. You guys, it's just a split. I woke up doing splits. I don't need to practice doing a split, but actually now that I'm old, I realize, and I'm, I'll just say I'm 40. I just turned 40 um, a few months ago. And, um, now I don't just wake up in a split. <laughs> I do have to warm up and I have to yeah. stretch and I have to be prepared. And, you know, and so now I understand it because, now I have sort of the same, I'm in the same situation as most people who are not used to forcing their bodies to do whatever they demand of it. Right. And so like, yeah, I didn't, I, it's not that I didn't discover yoga until I was 35. It's that I didn't need it until I was 35. And then suddenly I was like, this is the best thing that ever happened. Like where has this been all my life? And I was addicted. I had to go every day and especially hot yoga because when you're in the hot room, your body is, your muscles are soft and pliable and they will do what you need them to do. Right. So, um, so as far as the physical practice of yoga goes, I didn't fall in love with that till I was 30 and it wasn't until I was 37, 38 that I realized that it's not the physical practice of yoga that I needed. It's the mental practice because all of the asanas that you like in the West, we think of yoga as just stretching and strength exercises and stuff. Right. But all of those shapes and positions that you put the body in are for one purpose. And it's to calm the mind It's to bring the mind into laser like focus. So I needed that my whole life. I just didn't know that that was going to be accomplished 
by going through these physical exercises. Was it now that go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, just like now that I've gone through my teacher training, I'm more aware of like what the actual purpose of yoga is, which is sort of a secret to the West. I mean, we go to yoga and we do our one hour practice, you know, at the studio and everyone's smiling and wearing their Lululemon and we don't, we don't know really what we're doing it for. Now, nobody's ever left yoga and said, wow, I wish I hadn't done that. I mean, you, you always leave and you feel better than you came in, but you don't really know why, you know, right. and for me, like when I'm teaching, my goal for my students is that when they leave at the end of the hour, that their body fits more comfortably than it did when they walked into the room. Right. You know, that their mind is calm. They're not thinking of a hundred different things, at, you know, in a minute and that their body feels comfortable. And that is something that a lot of people don't actually know the feeling of. Especially in this day and age. I mean, we're constantly yeah. moving. It's like we have con we're, we're always moving every part of us. I mean, we've always, we're always in communication. We're always in con. Well, let me rephrase that. We're not always in communication. We're always in contact. Communication yeah. and contact are two totally different things. But I mean, one of the big things for me that I was so impressed with you and why, I mean, I'll tell you every person that I know that is now, uh, you know, even my, my spiritual guide, a woman who I work very closely with, who, you know, helps me through a lot of the calming of my brain, who really kind mm-hmm. of, you know, here's where you are. And this is why this is happening. Or, you know, and her and I talk, she was on my show twice, actually. Her name's Sally um, Young. If, if you get a chance, follow her on Instagram. No, yeah, no, I She's listen cool. to her. Oh, good. I totally good. And and one of the big things that I, I really just I was so impressed with you is the mind. I mean, the way your dedication and your uh, the diligence for what you have with what you do. And I love following you. I, I love following you on Instagram. Oh, I love you. the stories and I just love your pictures and your creative and the artistic way in which you do stuff. And it's so it's inspiring to me because you to me seem to have that laser like focus. Like, you know what your goal is and you know what it is that you want. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling, pulling back for a second because I want to know, was there at that 30 year mark or was there at that point when you, you took one class that you were, that it was a, was it a fire that got lit inside of you that made you want to move more towards the yoga instructor? You know, cause you said like, you know, I would go and I would leave and I was like, fuck, I'm never doing that, you know, or, or I didn't like that or hate it or whatever. Where, what was that point? Well, I think the tipping point for me was when my body started aging to the point where I didn't, like I said, wake up in the splits. I mean, you know, there was a time when if you, if you had asked me when I was 15 to show you like my most contorted position, I would just flop over into it. No big deal. And be like, how do you like this? You know? And then since I'm showing off, I'll just pull it two inches further than I normally do. Um, and, and that would have been no problem. But now it's like, if, if I need to show off, I need to spend a good 60 to 90 minutes preparing my body, like warming everything up, stretching, strengthening, making sure that all of the joints are moving at capacity in order to show you that one big thing that I I want to impress you with, you know? And so that was around in my mid thirties. I want to say that it's like, Oh shit, I have to warm up to do my job, you know? Um, And so I think that's when yoga started to click for me, but I still didn't know, like I knew I was like, there's something going on with yoga besides just the sweating and exercising, but I didn't know what it was. And it wasn't until 
I basically went to Bali to do my yoga teacher training. Not even really. I went there not planning on leaving as a yoga teacher. I just wanted to inform my own practice. And, you know, there was the thing is when you go to your class for one hour, you know, you get you glean a few things from each lesson, but you can't really grasp the scope of yoga in, in, in an hour class, even if you go every single day. So right. um, I was like, I need to know more about this. So I went to get my teacher training just for my own benefit, not for to, to share with anyone. And I, I, I arrived, like I said, not wanting to be a teacher, but as they as they start to give you this information and you're becoming more immersed in the subject, it it becomes evident. And also they sort of push you in a way of saying like, you're the keeper of this information now. And like, do you want to die with it and not share it with anyone? Or I mean, in a way it's your responsibility to pass it on. Yeah. And so I basically only started, I only started teaching because I felt obligated in a way, but I will say as much as I, I do love teaching now, but I prefer practicing to teaching. That's right. the important thing for me. When you're building it for yourself, but uh, you know, I mean, that's the, in, the, the internal part of you that wants that. And somebody once said to me yeah. a very wise thing that I, I listen, I, 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 I try to share this as much as possible, which is funny because now that I do more of what I do, which is share the information that I have within my business, you know, like what I'm doing with my demonstrations while I'm out here in Vegas and the new show that I have that's coming up and everything else. I'm sharing the information that I have with people. And I keep reverting back to something that a friend of mine said, which is to keep what you have. You have to give it away. You know, so you have all of this knowledge with this going on with yoga and everything that, that you're giving it back away. And I think that's super cool. Um, now, I, I know with a lot of people that get involved in yoga and, and especially as they start going further into the teaching portions of it, that they actually get involved in additional practices. You know, like, I mean, my, my Sally, you know, she's a Reiki master as well. I mean, is that something yeah. that you believe in that energy work as well? I mean, to be honest, I'm also a Reiki master. It's not something that I, you know, put right underneath my name because it's one of those things that is a bit off-putting for people, kind of like saying you're vegan, like meat eaters are like, oh, God, you know, I don't want to deal with that. Um, When you say Reiki, (laughs) the thing about Reiki is that it it works, but it mostly works if you believe in it. And so um, if you don't believe in it, there's a 100% chance that it's not going to work for you. So, um, so it's, like I said, it's not something that I'm like, you know, put that right behind my name and then all the other stuff it's, it's in there. And the the reason I became a Reiki master is because I used to work in this health food store. I spent a lot of years there and the woman who owned the store could not afford to have insurance for all of her employees. So what she would do instead is train them in Reiki because she was a Reiki master. And so there's uh, three levels that you go through to become a master. And if you were willing to go through all of the lessons, she offered it for free kind of in lieu of insurance. So I was was a teenager. I took the courses. I got certified. I'm a Reiki master. I can make other people Reiki masters now, but I don't necessarily use it on anyone else. I save it for myself because I drain the life out of this body doing what I do and trying to like inspire people and share my art. And so essentially like all the time I have aches and pains that I, I put my hands on those areas and the pain is relieved. Um, It's not something I'm going to try to sell to someone. It's not something that 
you know, like I mean, people, people run successful businesses as Reiki people, but, um, it's, it's like, for me, it's more personal. I just use it for myself. And like, if my husband or my close friends, my mom or whatever is suffering, I will use that on them as well. Yeah. It's kind of a thing where you have to have their permission and it's a very personal um, thing. It's very personal for me. Yeah. I mean, and it's a very personal thing for the, for, for me. I mean, the first time that I received Reiki, like, honestly, I was, I was a little scared. I didn't know what to expect from it. I didn't know, you know, at that point, I didn't understand the concept of the energy transference and, and the way that it works. I really thought like somebody's going to hypnotize me and ask me questions and I'm going to, I'm going to start spewing shit out, you know, like I yes. didn't know. So I was super scared when I went in, I had that look, I, I, I know, I know even Sally had mentioned it to me at one point about that. You know, she's like, just relax. Like we're going to talk. And we sat down and we started she kind of put me at ease about stuff, but I still wasn't hundred percent into it until after I was done that I thought, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. She's not going to, you know, ask me where I put the cookie that I stole when I was six years old. Yeah. Yeah. It can be intimidating, but it's also like, even if you've experienced the benefit of it, you still don't really, there's no real explanation for why it worked. It's not like you can see what's happening or sometimes if you're not very in touch with yourself, you can't even feel it. You might just leave feeling like, I mean, hell, some people, like, like I said, if you don't believe in it, you will go in and you will leave and you will say nothing happened in there. Right. And that was a waste of my money. It's in a way it's like placebo. Like if you believe in placebo, take that instead of the drugs, because if it's doing the same thing, because exactly. you believe strongly enough in it that it's working, that's all you needed. You know, now, now are you, are you, are you a meditation? Are you into meditation as well? Definitely. Are, so are Definitely. you, are you full blown TM? I mean, are you transcendental or do you do guided? No. or? No, I mean, I'm a, I'm a dabbler in a lot of different things to me. Okay. Transcendental meditation. It's, um, it's a bit elitist, which right. I mean, who, who doesn't love to be elite, but you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's something you have to pay a lot of money for. And, and for me, this is really off putting because spirituality cannot be bought. And right. so I don't really buy into that just based on the fact that it's expensive and, and reserved for people with money. Right. Um, I believe that peace is within and that we all have access to it if we take the time to search it out. So I like to, I like to do guided meditations. I like to do silent meditation. I like to do Vipassana. Um, I like, um, mostly I like to like focus on what I can feel. And if I can't feel anything, then I go straight to what I can hear. So I just like, it's essentially, it's about um, taming your thoughts. You know, in yeah. the mind, it's, it's meant to be active. That is its purpose. It is meant to protect us. It's meant to be like looking around every corner and suspicious and always alert and on guard and, and constantly overthinking things. That's, that's its purpose, you know, but we get trapped in this cycle of listening to our thoughts and then thinking like, oh, you know, it's the, the more we, the more time we spend overthinking shit, the more we believe that we're right. Right. You know, and like. We're not (laughs) generally speaking. We're like, we're always slightly misled because we're believing non-truths. So for me, like the whole meditation practice is just about getting out of your head and getting into your body because your body is not going to mislead you. There's no, I mean, maybe it will, but when I, when I'm overthinking, I go directly to my breath 
I try to control the length of the inhale, the length of the exhale, and essentially like you can trick your parasympathetic nervous system into a place of calmness because just through the breath, you know, like if you're, if you have anxiety about, you know, an upcoming event, or if you have, um, you know, you've just suffered a, a, a tragic blow to your life, um, the breath is going to react first. And if you, if you notice that and then you control the breath, then the breath starts to control the way you're feeling about a situation. So I definitely spend a lot of time trying to suppress my thoughts and trying to get more into what's going on in my heart. How is my body feeling? What is the temperature of the room? What are the sounds around me? Just like to bring myself fully into the moment because the majority of the time we're not here, right? You know, we're somewhere else we're, we're preparing or we're, you know, um, agonizing about something that's already happened. And there's, there's no, there's no reason to get pulled in those two directions because this moment and, you know, it's like people are always, it's like the elusive here and now, but it's actually all there is. It's not this little sliver of time that we're trying to stick a knife in here. And now is, it's everything. It's the only thing what's already happened is gone. And what's yet to happen, you cannot even begin to predict. Right. You could try, but like you're wasting your time because until it's, until it's now, it's not legit. Right. And for you with, I mean, like, I, like, I mean, look for me, meditation is, I'm not, I'm not an hour long guy. I mean, you know, my ex-girlfriend's father meditated for two hours a day. You know, my brother's a deep TM guy. I mean, he's Buddhist. He meditates all the time and he's a very calm and peaceful person. For me, the breathing is massive, massive. Yeah. You know, I mean, the situations that I get in them. Yeah. an instant. Exactly. You know, I mean, I know I carry, you know, I mean, I do five minute meditations in between sets of shooting stuff. You know, if I find out I've got a couple minutes of stopping or when I'm on the road before I fly, like people say to me all the time when I fly, Oh, is this your first time flying? I'm like, fuck no, man. I flew a hundred thousand miles last year. I'm just breathing. I'm just taking it easy because I have to sit in the same spot for the next couple hours and I have an opportunity to sit and do this. And uh, that breath is just so cleansing and so refreshing for me. I even talked to my girls, my girls. I'm like, guys, before we start making conversation, let's just take a breath, take five minutes and release and just stop that, you know, that, that constant, that dull roar that is always going inside of your brain and focus on your breathing. And it changes so much from, you know, responses that you're going to have to somebody. Think about taking a breath before every single time that you want to say something, you're going to change your response a lot of times. It's huge, especially in this day of instantaneous reactions. We shoot first and ask questions later. We, I'm I'm to blame for this as well. You know, we shoot first and ask questions later and it's a big problem, a huge problem. Twitter alone, which is my favorite platform, just so you know. Yeah. (laughs) um, So for you, I mean, I want to, I want to touch back a little bit with, with uh, some of the Cirque du Soleil stuff. I mean, how, I mean, you're talking about 4,000 shows and the same motions and, every time. And that was one of the things that intrigued me, um, about that part of your life was the fact that you did the same thing all the time. I mean, you were telling me about, you know, some of the safety things that you guys did. You never wore a harness. I mean, you were, or you never had a net underneath of you. You know, you didn't wear an earpiece to find out what was going on. You were, you were in your zone, in your moment 
all the time. Yeah, well, actually, let me let me give the the listeners a bit of context on that because in 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 our show, there's like a thousand harnesses, and I definitely do wear one because I do an underwater scene where it looks like I'm swimming, but I'm actually hanging, you know, a hundred feet in the air, right. pretending to swim, and there's like bubbles projected in front of me. So I do wear a harness in the show. Um, and there are, there are so many safety procedures. It's like unbelievable. But for my act specifically, I did a straps duet. Um, and, and for our act, there was no safety because we were flying over essentially like a metal lift and the audience. Um, and then we're, we're there, we're not harnessed into anything. We're hanging onto our strap with our hand. And then from time to time, only one of the partners, like my, my partner or myself would be attached to the strap, but we're holding the other person. Right. So in that regard, there was no safety. So for those, for that kind of interaction, like you really have to know your partner and be in sync. You have to trust each other. It's like, um, you know, you have to really, commit to that relationship and really be on the same page with each other. Um, with the show in general, I mean, you couldn't take a step in a certain direction without, you know, having a rigor check you. And there, there was a lot of safety protocol in, in the overall show. Just in my five minute act, we were the one act in the show that didn't really have safety essentially. So what we would do is practice um, rescue scenarios where like, for example, I think we would do it twice a year, um, maybe more, but it was essentially, it was for the artists to be aware of like what's happening in those scenarios. Like say, if you go unconscious during the show, so that you have an idea what's going to happen around you. And, but right. more importantly for the rescue people, like, so for the, the, the physical medicine people and the, um, the, the first responders, they get an opportunity to practice. So say if, from simple things like if the motor breaks, if we're flying through the air and suddenly the motor stops working, how do you get down? Or if we're flying together and one person hits their head and goes unconscious, what then? Or if one person falls and the other person is still in the air, how do we handle that situation? So they were really good about um, practicing different scenarios so that everyone involved from the ushers to the EMTs to the riggers and the carpenters and the physio people, like everyone has had many chances to practice what what's going to happen if something fails. Right. Um, and that's like in a way for circus, that's very taboo uh, because because circus people are very superstitious. And so like, like for like, I don't, I mean, I was about to say like for Russians, but you know, it's not even really necessarily Russians. I would say it's mostly people who grew up in circuses and they're, they're coming from circus families. It's superstitious to assume that there's going to be an accident because the whole thing is like, we can do this without having an accident. You know what I mean? Like we're essentially sure. like the job is to defy death daily. So for those people, um, it's, it's taboo to practice an accident because then you're sort of inviting it. And then also like in my own personal case, like my, my aerial partner had a very traumatic brain injury from a fall. And so for him, whenever we would um, have to train a scenario where there needed to be a rescue, I 100% of the time was like, I will be the victim because I know that it's a trauma for him to be spine boarded and carried out of the building because he has actually had that happen to him. And it triggers, 
you know, things in his brain that he's like not prepared to deal with, which I mean, who can blame him for me personally? I've not had to suffer that kind of an accident. And so, and, and I'm not superstitious. So for me, I loved to have these training scenarios because it makes you calm with the situation. Um, and also like, because I'm a bit of a princess, I like to be carried and I like to just, you know, be dead weight. And I know that someone's going to put my arm on my chest. Someone's going to strap me in. Someone's going to make sure I'm breathing. Someone's going to make sure my neck doesn't bend. And man, there's nothing more comforting than knowing that the 80 people closest to you in the event of an emergency, that those people all know exactly what the fuck they're doing. Sure. That's fucking comforting. You know, that's huge. I mean, that's and that alone in that situation. I mean, you were so you were with your partner for the entire nine years or did you uh, was there? Well, we had like so when I first got hired, I was the backup for the straps act. So for three years, I think it was I was I did house troop four nights a week and then one night a week. I did the straps act with um, with a Russian partner. And then um, when there was like someone left. And so a position opened up. They really didn't want for me to take it because they liked me where I was. They were like, you're useful as house troop and as, you know, backup straps. Um, But I really only wanted to do straps. I wasn't interested in the other stuff. So I pushed pretty hard to be considered. Uh, They were like, no, no, not you. Um, But basically they were like, we're going to scour the globe and look for the girl. Like we're going to find her. And it's very specific. Like the part that I do, like you have to look a certain way and sound a certain way. You got to have the right eye color, the right hair length. You know, it's like everything has to be so specific and not, not hair length. We wear a wig, but I mean, you know, it's like you had dreads prior to, I had to cut them off. I cut them off for the job. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So basically like it's such a specific thing they're looking for that it's really hard to find the right person. So anyway, they didn't want me to move, but I really wanted to. So I was like, I was like, please consider me. I'm auditioning, you know, and I want to be considered. So essentially they let me do the main track uh, straps position temporarily. They said, we're going to let you do it for now, but you will go back to your other partner and be the backup. Once we find the real girl, who's going to take over this role. Okay. So I was like, okay, well that's pretty insulting. Cause here I am doing the job every single night. <laughs> yeah. but I feel you, you go on that global search. And luckily for me, I mean, they did hire a girl, but she ended up not wanting the job. So she left. And then I think they hired a different girl, but she didn't pass the um, criteria for like, you know, like she had too many injuries or something. So ultimately after nine months of me doing the job on a temporary basis, I I literally had gotten to the point where I was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm just going to live for right now. I don't care if you give me the contract. I'm just going to do it because it's fun for now. And they were like, oh, you can have it. We were just kidding, you know. Oh. So I was like, okay, well, we finally did get there. So from the time I was permanent as the straps position, um, I was with the same partner, um, French-Canadian man, uh, for seven years. Okay. So now did you, he and did I you have, really. You and him had what? Ahead. Well, no, we, we had to have a really strong relationship with each other in sure. order to pull that job off for so long, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, did you have, did you have an understudy? Did somebody work underneath of you that knew the exact same show and that's what would happen? So 
Okay. Yeah. So when, um, so when they, when they officially said, okay, we're going to let you keep this, we'll give you the permanent contract as the straps person, then the person who was temporarily backing me up became the permanent backup. So for each like, um, so with the main girl at Ka, basically it takes two people to perform her nightly because, uh, she's in almost every scene in the show. So you see her on stage and she's fighting with her brother, you know, she's doing like wushu and then she's on a boat and the boat sinks. Well, physically, like in real time, we want to follow the story, but in real time, the actress is on the boat, which is sinking into the basement. Well, the next scene is the underwater scene. So there has to down. already be someone preset in the grid in order to do the underwater scene. So that was why it took two people. It was the same thing. Like later in the show, she's falling out of a bird and she falls and you just see her falling through one scene and then through another scene. And essentially we, when we see her falling, we're taken back like, Oh yeah, yeah. She fell out of the bird. So she's falling, but the girl who's falling has a harness on and has been hanging in the ceiling for five minutes Right. When she does that fall, I'm waiting in the basement to appear as the person who was just caught. You know what I mean? So right. it takes two people per night, but then for each of those tracks, there have to be two or three people who are able to do them because, I mean, eventually you get sick and you can't sure. come to work tonight, you know? It's yeah. pretty rare, but eventually we do we do get sick and somebody else has to step in. And so that's kind of the job of stage management is to shuffle the show each night to make sure that each track is covered, um, depending on who's available, who's injured, who's sick, you know? Right. Now, how much, how much creativity did you have within the, the part that you were playing? Um, like so much and also none. Right. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny because, choreographically i mean as far as the tricks we were doing and stuff that really was up to me and my partner because it was like what happens when we put our bodies together and we're flying through the air you know we would we were able to kind of create it on our own but as far as the story goes um and and the characters and kind of their arc like there is zero creativity because like, here's what's happening and you will fill this <laughs> you know it's like it's, it's almost like um, mad libs where you know, it's uh, you've got the sentence and there's a few words removed and you can put in the word that you prefer, but it needs to mean the following. Right. Understood. OK, I got it. And then, I mean, what point were you done? You know, I mean, when um, were you like, I'm done with this chapter of my life? Well, that is an interesting question. <laughs> um, I guess I, I guess the end for me was when I called me in and said, you're done. Um, oh, wow. I had, yeah, I had, I had decided, um, already. I knew that this was my last year with that okay. show. I still, there's still more in me as a performer, as an entertainer. Um, I don't think I'm finished on stage yet because I get too much joy from that. And right. so I can't imagine going another 40 or 60 years without having access to that feeling that I get from sharing with an audience. So I know I'm not done being on stage yet, but I figured because I had kind of been bored at Ka for the last, you know, few years, I would say. Right. And um, it was it was difficult because, like I said, they hire you as an artist, then they turn you into a robot, and then you're just supposed to continue being that robot on the treadmill, and you just regurgitate that same sentence over and over and over and over again. And the artist in you dies. And so 
the artist in me was crying for help and like, I need more. I need, you know, so I was doing outside projects and I was kind of pulling myself in a lot of different directions to try to fulfill, to kind of scratch that itch. And ultimately like I knew, okay, well, I had been trying to transfer to a different show for a while. I wanted to go on tour and they were basically like, we like you where you're at. And I knew that they were not going to consider me for other work unless I was willing to walk away from the job that I had, which is tricky because like I said, those golden handcuffs, man, you know, you, you break them off and you don't know if there's going to be another job for you down the road. So it is, it is intimidating to say, okay, I'm done here, but we had already established, okay, this is, it's my 10th year. This is my last year here. But the goal was that I would recover from my surgeries, go back into the show, have a proper closing out, say goodbye to my cast, et cetera. Right. And they hired this girl who's like freaking amazing. And I'm so happy because when I left to do these surgeries, um, I said, well, I hope that whoever, they hire is the best aerialist that this show has ever seen. And I got to tell you, they found her. That's great. She's freaking amazing. So on the one hand, I'm like really pumped. But when they hired her, I was like, Oh, this is the girl who's gonna, she's, she's my replacement because you don't hire this girl for three months. You know what I mean? She's, she's rock solid. So I was like, Oh, it's going to be hard to go back in after her. (laughs) (laughs) So now where, where are you finding a release for the creativity that you have now? And, and that, I mean, where's that, where's that coming into play? Man, I'm like all over the place with that because the thing that brings me the most joy right now is cooking and feeding people. Um, and so people are like, Tori, why don't you go to culinary school? Why don't you work in a kitchen and all this stuff? And I'm like, because I like cooking and I know what it's like in a restaurant kitchen that's stressful and they have to move fast. And it's not, it's not the fun time that I'm having when I'm in my kitchen preparing meals for my friends and family. Right. You know, it's a, it's a very different stressful thing. So, um, as much as I love cooking, I don't think that I want to do it professionally. Um, because I think it would suck the joy out of it for me. Um, so mostly what I'm doing is like going to yoga and preparing really elegant, elaborate meals for myself. I live alone right now. And so I'll, I literally, my favorite day is I will spend four hours in the kitchen making a vegan gluten-free gumbo and just enjoying the shit out of it. And then I have a big pot of it. So I package it up and I take it to homeless people. I take it to my barista, my bartender, my hairdresser, my tattoo guy, like anybody that I can feed that will take my food. And, and the thing is like, I feel like this is the way I can be like best of service right now. Um, because I'm in a place where I'm not on stage. And so I don't have that interaction with the people, you know, um, but all I want to do is, is make fine food and share it with people. And I I feel like, uh, you know, especially like when I've, when I'm like feeling really successful about a a meal or something, like I'm automatically before I'm washing the dishes, I'm thinking of like, who can I share this with? I've got approximately five portions left, you know? Wow. That's fun. I bring food. Yeah. I bring food. 
I do. When I make yeah. something that's fun and, and really cool, like I love making the little stuff like soups and stews and, you know, stuff that I can throw into a, you know, a Chinese food deli container and bring it to mm-hmm. my tattoo guy. Or, you know, I love yeah. bringing shit to my, ta- I love walking into the tattoo shop and being like, here's a rack of ribs, go to town, you know, or yeah. here's a soup that I made, or, you know, I've got a couple special people that I drop food off to all the time and all that. I love that you go and you give it to homeless. And I mean, that's a big thing. That's awesome. You know, to be able to have that, that, that piece of knowing that you enhance yeah. somebody's life or made them feel better through something that you physically created, you know, that's going to nourish them at the same time. I think that's an awesome feeling. I love that feeling. Yeah, it feels good. And I got to say, cause Valentine's day was a week ago. And, um, it was kind of the best day for me because not only did I get to skate with my friends, my older friends, um, who, by the way, like I, I, like I said, I skate with senior citizens. They are teaching me to skate backwards. So (laughs) I'm there, I'm there for entertainment and they're there to teach me. They're my teachers. Um, but it was Valentine's day. So they did this potluck and I made little mini hummingbird cakes that were vegan and gluten-free, obviously, because that's what I eat. Um, but to be able to go and like laugh with these guys and, and we're smiling, we're having fun skating together and then they get to eat the food and they're like, wait, what? This is so good. How did, how is this so good? Like that's, it's, it's, it's really, it brings me so much joy. Well, that's cool. Well, all right. So I know that you have uh, you have some obligations tonight that you've got to go take care yeah. of. And uh, even though I feel that we could sit here and talk for another couple hours, um, I think. So uh, cool. Yeah, I love it. I mean, look, like I said, I've gotten to a point that uh, the whole thing about this show, it's funny that you had said, like, you know, why did I want you? It's because I meet people. And I have a connection with them and I want to share that connection with everybody out there. You know, I've kind of gotten away from, you know, at one point I was like, I want to chase celebrities. I want to get cool people. And I'm like, why? I have nothing to talk about. So I meet you last year and, and you intrigued me. I mean, the, the, the way that you live your life and we had better conversation, I think, than anyone else at that table. Like you and I, I think because we kind of got there early and sat next to each yeah. other. And then it was just like, it almost didn't matter if anybody else was there because we were having such a great time sharing stories. And yeah, yeah I can, I can see why, um, like why you do what you do. And I think I'm kind of interested in it myself. Actually, my husband and I are getting ready to embark on these journeys together. And I think we're going to vlog the whole thing just for fun and, you know, to see yeah. if anyone's interested. Um, I think it's great. We're going to be in some of the most incredible places and we have a point of view, you know, so we may as well share it and people can take it or leave it. And, you know, well, I I love your plan. I love your plan. I love that you guys are doing it and chasing something that, that really interests you. And, you know, if you guys ever make that trek to Philadelphia and I happen to be there, uh, I'd love to make dinner for you guys, or I'd love to sit down and have a drink or whatever it is. So, um, keep that in mind, no matter where you go. So, Next time I'm in Philly, I'm definitely coming in for that meal okay. and that drink. Yeah, 100%. All right. Well, listen, uh, tour- how, how long are you in Vegas for? You're, you're I, just here for a few more days, right? I do. I leave on, uh, I'm out of here Friday morning, but I'm back in a month. I'm back for the nightclub and bar show. So, um, you know, if we can connect it all during that week, it's a pretty insane week. But if we can connect it all during that week, I'd love to see you. So that would be amazing. Yeah. 
All right. So, Tori, do me a favor. Tell everybody again who you are, what you do, and how they can get in contact with you. I highly suggest that everybody who's out there just follow Tori on Instagram. I, I tell more people to follow you because, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's that conversation that we had that night, but there's a connection there that I love to see other people see what you're doing and the joy that you get out of it. I think it's awesome. So. Awesome. Well, um, again, I'm Tori Lubecki, and um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Tori Lubecki. Uh, it's T-O-R-I-L-U-B-E-C-K-I. And uh, yeah, drop on by, see what I got going on. I, I love to, you know, spread the joy. So thanks okay. for, uh, for sharing me with your listeners. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I look forward to talking to you in the next couple of weeks before I get back out here. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Chef. Cool. You know, that's that right there. I know I do. I feel like I do this after all these conversations that I have with people. But that was an interaction that I had with Tori 11 months ago. And we had a great conversation. There was just something that that was uh, that clicked at that moment. And I knew she was even though I was with all my friends, like she was the person that I wanted to talk to. There was a reason why I was there and there was a reason she was there at the same time. And Panini, uh, Pete Blom, I want to thank you very much for, for making that interaction because, uh, look, I, do I want to get all spiritual and weird? Hey, I'm cool with that. I don't give a shit. Uh, we are, we are put into people's lives for a reason. There's something that is important there. I, I don't think that everything is just a chance encounter in certain places. I find that we're put in people's lives for a reason. So, um, I've gotten joy out of following Tori for the last year and seeing what it is that she does in her life. And, um, and I think you guys will as well. So Tori, thank you so much for hopping on with me. Um, I appreciate you taking an hour and a half out of your life to sit and chat with me. That that's a, that's a big thing. As I said before, time is a gift in itself. So I'm pretty cool with that. Um, I'm going to wrap it up right here. I want to thank every single person that's involved in this show with, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Jerry and Jason at radioinfluence.com and, you know, Michelle out there, techno and Maggie, Gagliardi, who uh, is going to do an awesome illustration for uh, for Tori. I'm pretty stoked about that. So um, y'all, thank you very much. Get over to iTunes. Do me a favor and give us a review. It's important to me. And uh, I will see y'all later. Take care. Thank you. And have a great day. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. This is a Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill Quick Fix on Radio Influence. I bet the $3,500 that Smollett paid these guys and Dang, you figure if you're you're on a hit TV show, you got an album out, you'd probably be able to pay me more than thirty five hundred freaking dollars for that. Because man, I can go make thirty five hundred dollars <laughs> working at Subway. <laughs> Maybe he could be the new spokesman for Subway since the other one's in prison for child pornography. But in all seriousness, he didn't think they would get caught. He thought he'd be able to run this out and run it dry and then he'd probably go on this campaign he'd probably get a book deal he'd probably get his own spinoff show all of this crap that he had in mind because he just thought this plan was solid but don't let me tell you let me have you listen to him I was talking to a friend and I said I just want them to find them and she said she's so angry 
because so I'm just gonna be left here with this. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just gonna be left here with with like so they get to go free. <laughs> so Bubba be left here. <laughs> they get to go free. <laughs> yeah, they get to go free because they rolled on your dumb ass. Stupid. Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.